Well, hey, we are in the book of John this morning, continue our journey through the book of John chapter nine. And the Bible is so rich and this chapter has got some wonderful, wonderful things in it. We're going to go through it. Uh, we're going to hit a lot of the verses going through it and then hit some some points. But I was really just excited in my preparation for the last couple of weeks in this passage and praying and just looking at the richness of what God has for us. So let's pray for the word this morning. God, we, as we get into the Word, we need your anointing and your blessing upon it. Father, each of us have a different uh, version of this Bible, God, and, and it's, it's paper with some black and red ink on it. But God, you make it come alive into our hearts, and that's what we need, Father. Quicken the words, Father, as I speak them and as we hear them. Lord, let your Spirit come and speak to each of us the message that we need to hear for ourselves. Father, I pray that any messages that come, Father, that you would focus them to ourselves and, and not let us get lost in that thing that sometimes we do. Lord, oh, this would be great for so-and-so. This would be great for so-and-so. But speak to us this morning as we go through this time in the Word. Encourage us, challenge us, um, and bless your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, that, that is something, as I prayed that, is something that happens to me, and I think we have to fight against that. We're, we might be in church, and we hear a word, and we go, oh, boy, I wish so-and-so was here. Well, you know, and, and, and that, can, that might be true, but I think often, you know, God knows how to get so-and-so here. So if you're here this morning, you, you must be here for a reason. So let's really purpose in our hearts, say, okay, Lord, what do you have to speak to me today? And I think no matter where you're at this morning, no matter where I'm at, as we've got on our billboard out in the hallway, we're all growing one step closer to Jesus. God is calling us forward. He doesn't want us to sit stagnant. He doesn't want us to grow too comfortable. But he's saying, follow me. And as we follow him, we find the depths and the richness of his love for us. And that's what we find in the word of God. It's amazing how many times we can read the same Bible, but not just the same Bible, the same passage, even the same verse, and find a richness that comes 5, 10, 20 years into our walk with Christ that just comes and, and overwhelms us with maybe his love or his mercy. And that is the one amazing thing about the Bible. It's so deep, but no matter where you're at, it ministers to us. And so as we start in the book of John chapter 9 this morning, we find Jesus about to perform one of his miracles. But remember we talked about at the beginning of this series that it's not just a miracle, it's a sign. As Jesus is performing these things, as he's doing the miracles, they're not just miracles for miracles' sake. They're signs to show that he is the Messiah. And, and in this passage, one of the things that will happen is he, Jesus once again declares that I am the light of the world. So it was a great song that we sang this morning. Light of the world, you step down in the darkness. He is the light. This morning as we get into the word, we want him to illuminate. You know, we want him to illuminate us and, and be the light. And so in verse nine, or, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the very first thing we find in, in, the, in verse 1 is, is hopeless, hopelessness. Because as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He's in a hopeless situation. He, he doesn't, he, he's never seen He's sitting begging. You know, they don't have doctors. They don't have artificial eyes. They don't have cornea transplants. He's blind. And in, in this day and age, if you have an, a disability, you're pretty much done for. 
And so you're, you're going to be probably relegated to sitting by and begging and asking for, for alms, for money. And so he's in a hopeless situation. He's been there his whole life. I don't know if, uh, for those of you who are here, when uh, Brian was getting ready to go down, uh, Brian Taylor was getting ready to go down to Guatemala last year, and, we heard, and Nancy also commented on this, that kid, children who are born with a disability in countries like Guatemala, they're often literally put into a little room. And sometimes they won't even tell their neighbors that they have that child because there's such an embarrassment. And there's, there, it's just, they're just not whole. They're not a, a real person at times. And that, that culture, that, that thing, I think, happened to a degree in this setting too. They, they, they weren't like the rest. In fact, in Jewish culture, um, if you had a disability, there was a thought that you probably had sinned to deserve that. Because in the Jewish culture, it was the, 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 there was a belief that, that those who were serving God and living according to his statutes were going to be blessed. And so if you weren't blessed, if you had an issue, then you were probably a sinner. So he's here in a hopeless situation, but he's not just hopeless it's a humiliating situation for that same reason. In verse 2, when it said, his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Here's that assumption, the Jewish culture thinking, saying, somebody must have sinned. Somebody did something wrong because this guy's blind, and he's been blind since birth, and so they want to know which happened. So here, he's hopeless. He doesn't have any hope for his life because he's blind. He can't do much on his own. They didn't have ADA. There weren't level sidewalks. There weren't ramps going everywhere. This was a very difficult thing to be blind in a society. It would be difficult today, but, but take away all of the ramps and all of the, the guards that we have for people with disabilities and go, wow, that would be very difficult. Again, when I was living in Guatemala, all the stones there, they, all the sidewalks, they were all cobblestone, and everything was very rough. So he's hopeless. But now the disciples, Jesus' own disciples says, well, this guy's a sinner or his parents, which ones? So now he sits humiliated that people look at him day after day saying you must have sinned to deserve this have you ever felt that way in a situation that you knew that some people were looking at you going well you're in this situation because x y or z because people judge and it's it's just it's common to man to look at situations and to judge so here he's hopeless and he's humiliated there's an assumption that the blindness is because of sin and so Now, because he was born blind, it's really inconceivable that the blindness was caused by his own sin, and yet the disciples still ask. So why do they do that? They're trying to make sense out of a situation. They're trying to go, you know, well, he's blind, and we believe this, and so if we believe that those who follow God are blessed, and which means nothing bad happens to them, then somebody must have sinned. And I was, as I was praying through this, I thought, boy, God, we're not much different from that. We're always trying to come up with answers and reasons for the things that are going on. And so then we jump to conclusions, just as the disciples were doing. They were trying to make sense out of a situation, but they had faulty theology. Now, there were some in, in the Jewish faith. Um, it wasn't common, but there was actually some who believed in uh, prenatal sin. And I don't know exactly how this worked. Um, but they actually believed that maybe somehow the child sinned while they were still in the womb. And so they could actually be born with a condition because of their sin. Now, how do you come up with that? Now, there's a few passages that might lead you to that, but I believe that you come up with that trying to make sense of something out of your 
your worldview, out of your cultural understanding, and out of your theology. And so if you have a weak theology, if you don't have an understanding of God and the Bible, we're going to come up with all these crazy reasons why things are happening. And I hear it done today. Because they're still teaching in the churches that if you, if you just live right and if you have faith, then nothing bad's going to happen to you. I remember years ago with, with some dear saints, and um, you know, they, were, they loved the Lord, and, and they were very good friends of us, but they had some friends who, whose little baby died a two-year-old, and they got strangled by, I mean, the thing that you, you always hear, like, how did that happen? They got strangled by the little string on the blinds, and their little two-year-old died. And so they were, they, they were told and they were feeling, well, we must have sinned. We did something wrong, and, and, and they, well, we didn't pray hard enough. And, and they had all these questions, and people who were in their fellowship, and there wasn't this church, but they didn't even live in Big Bear, um, were... were saying the same things to them. Well, what's going on in your home? How did the devil get in? How did the devil get in to do this? And so they were questioning, and, and I thought, God, help us. If, if, if God is, is so mean that if I forget to pray one morning, I'm going to have a crash, or my child is going to get strangled on the blinds, what kind of God is that? He says, oh, well, you didn't pray today. You prayed yesterday and every other day of your life, but you didn't pray this morning, so I'm going to let your child die. God is not punitive like that, but it's built on a faulty theology of who God is. And so they had this faulty theology also, and they come up with less than a logical response. Well, I guess he sinned in the womb. Huh? Because they have to make sense out of this. Have you ever been there? You know, we try to make sense, and there isn't always sense in something sometimes we have to go and we read the the scriptures and the thing that's from beginning to the end is that god is good and that he's sovereign not that everything that happens is good we misunderstand romans 8 28 all the time the the romans 8 28 says that god works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose it doesn't say that all things are good but somehow we think that they're supposed to be when Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, it changed everything. Sin came into the world. Sickness came into the world. Death, hatred, anger, all of these thin things came up into the world and caused a chain of events that won't fully be broken until we're in heaven because we live in a fallen world. And so sometimes things happen that are out of our explanation. And we, 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 can, we cry, why is that happening? And we have to say, God... I don't know the why, but I know that you're good and that you're sovereign. And if I love you and, and if I stay close to you, you're going to show me how, to, how you will make something good out of the situation. But the faulty theology is, is, is what's going to get us in trouble. That's why it's so important to, to be one who studies the word of God, who reads it, who, who digests it, who talks about it with other people, who's not afraid to be challenged. Sometimes what we do when, we, when we're reading the Bible and living our Christian life is we get together with everyone who agrees with us so we can encourage each other just in the way we believe. You know, it's good to be with people who might challenge your, your, your thinking process a little bit so they can make sure that what you're thinking is right. You could be wrong. I could be wrong. But as we stay together and we challenge each other and we read through the Word, we'll go deeper and deeper and we'll get the principles of God, not just by picking a scripture out and saying this is truth, but reading from beginning to end and 
understanding the context in which it's written. Um, when you're reading the Bible, asking yourselves a few questions like, who wrote this? It's important to know sometimes who wrote it because you're going to understand where they're coming from. What was the context of what it was when it was written? What were the situations going on behind the scene? Um, who was it written to? Was it often there's a difference in the way it's written if it's whether it was written to just the, the Jews or if it was written to the Gentiles. So asking some questions and then going deeper, reading before, reading after, trying to get an understanding of what the whole counsel of God says so that we can build a theology not based on our wants and desires, but based on what the Word of God has. And so that's one of the issues that comes up. Now, Jesus, he deals with this really quickly and easily. Now, in verse 3, again, if you read this, I, 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 uh, I read this the wrong way once. And I mean, I, I read it and went, wow, somebody could misunderstand this verse if they weren't thinking and comparing it to the other verses. Verse 3, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. You know, if you read that one way, you can say, wow, they're sin-free. They've never sinned. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's connecting it to they didn't sin to cause this illness. right? But imagine if you pull this, this verse out, you just created sinless people by pulling one little verse out. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying that their sin is not the reason for the sickness. The sickness was not caused because of the parent's sin or this man's. But what does it say in verse 3? But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wow, this is a nugget that is huge because we understand that some of the trials that we go through, some of the tribulation that we go through is all that the glory of God is going to be revealed. You know, there is a greater purpose and the things that we're going through at the time are horrendous. Let's go back to when you were 14, 13. Do you remember that first broken heart you had? It might have been 10 or 12. Do you remember that, that real broken heart? Wasn't that the worst thing that ever happened in your entire life? You didn't know if you'd ever recover from that. Let's go back about four years before that, when your goldfish died. And at the time, there was nothing worse that could happen to you than your goldfish. You're laughing, but we had a burial for Zach's goldfish. His name was Lucky. <laughs> Lucky wasn't so lucky. And, and Lucky died, and Lucky had become part of our family. And so when Lucky died, Zach was really sad. This was last week. No. <laughs> you know, poor, my poor kids, they always tell their stories. You know, but, but at the time, Lucky was, you know, that was his first pet that he ever had, and it was special to him. And so we went out. <laughs> We went out to the backyard, and we dug a little hole, and we put Lucky into it. And, you know, we had a little burial and ceremony. Why? Because at the, in the moment, the trial that he was going through was great. Well, you know, that actually, that helped teach him for the next loss he would have. You know, isn't it interesting how when you're going through life, there is usually a progression. You know, and, and, and a pet's usually, you know, hopefully the first thing that dies in your life because you're, it's, it's beginning to understand there's loss and there's death. And so even those things that are maybe seemingly silly, God put into our lives to prepare us for what's going to happen in the future. And, and as you get older, obviously, your, your grandparents begin to pass away, and aunts and uncles, and then your parents, and, and then, you know, maybe a, sp a spouse, and then your children. And 
in a perfect world, we wouldn't die at all. But in a better world, children would never, ever die before their parents. But we don't live in a perfect world. But all these things that happen in the, in the moment that they happen are huge. But as we get further away, we can see how God uses it. And we, we find healing. And so, as, as Jesus says that the works of God should be revealed in him, here he spent, I don't know how long of his life, we know he's, he's old enough to be considered a man, and he's old enough to, to um, make his own. We're going to read that, that the, uh, he gets questioned by the Pharisees, that he was of age to talk for himself. So he spent however many years being blind. And yet he says, but that this happened so that the works of God could be revealed. Wow. You might be going through something that's really, really difficult. But as you press into God, as you, as you give God the opportunity, He can do this so His glory is revealed and, and you'll come out having a healing or a salvation from it or something where God's glory is revealed and it's difficult. Now, sometimes the reason that we are in the predicament we're in is because we did sin. And, and, and we made a foolish choice. God can still work a miracle out of that. But not everything that happens is, is you know, God saying, well, I want you to ha- this to happen because I want my glory. But he also allows things to happen. But that's not this case here. Verse 3. So go on in verse 4. And so in, in, in verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is saying, you know, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. This is a cry for all of us. Say, hey, there's, there's only so much time left. And I, I'm questioning every day how much time that is in this life. I mean, it's just things are getting hairy out there. Even just recently, I mean, this is, I don't know how long it's, it's been, but this new terrorist group, ISIS, I mean, this billion-dollar funded terrorist group who now has commercials. Are you guys following this at all? They're actually they're putting commercials out, trying to recruit people. In their commercials, they're showing Americans and people from Australia who've joined this terrorist group, and, and they're just doing crazy things in the Middle East. It's, it's so bad that some of the other terror groups are saying they're really bad. Wow. I mean, things are heating up all over the place. And, and so we don't know, but are we making the most of every opportunity? When Jesus says that I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming. We don't want to be falling in the night, but this, this short verse right here is, is an is a encouragement and could even be a warning. Make the most of every opportunity. Do the works of him who sent you while it is still day. Don't, don't wait around. You know that conversation you've been wondering about whether you should have with your brother or your sister or your best friend about Jesus? You know, don't wait. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, take, take advantage of those things. Look for those opportunities. I'm just going to take these off. must work the works of him who sent us as long as it is day go on in verse 5 and we won't make it through the whole, th- a whole chapter 
Uh, we're going to go through a few verses and then and kind of summarize. But uh, in the next week, Pastor Jeff is going to bring us a great message on Jesus, the true shepherd. But verse 5, John chapter 9, says, As long as I am I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Aren't you glad for that? As the world is getting darker each and every day, Jesus stands up and he's the light of the world. But, but, but if we're not looking to the light, we're just going to see all the darkness. You know, I, I, I just kind of think in the middle of, of the desert, in the middle of the forest, when there's just no light to be found, and you have a beacon of light, as you see that, it gives you hope. But if you, if you only look at the darkness and don't look for the light, life gets scary. You get lost. You get disoriented. Keep your eye focused on the light of the world. Don't keep it focused on the darkness. Jesus, he is the light of the world. And he lives in and through us so that we can also be the light of the world. We're going to see that in just a moment. And so we have this man, born blind, sitting. You know, sit, well, we don't even know if he's sitting, but he's, he's, he's begging for alms. He's living this life. Jesus comes along. The disciples point him out and say, hey, and they're looking. Maybe they're looking for truth. They're looking, hey, what's the reason for these things? Have you ever wanted to ask those questions? Going back, it's like, sometimes you just want to know. And so they're at, taking the opportunity to ask Jesus. And so Jesus, after he said these things, verse 6, he says, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So, God, Jesus, God incarnate, is about to do something really spectacular. He's about to perform a creative miracle. Now, when you read the Bible, there's, there's, in the Old Testament, there's no blind people that receive their sight. In the New Testament, the closest one is when they pay, pray for Paul and he receives his sight back again. But Jesus is about to do not just a healing miracle, but because this man had never seen before, God is going to do a creative, Jesus is going to do a creative miracle in this moment and it's awesome so what does he do he spits i mean i don't know what the what the what the blind person was thinking but you know he's he he hadn't even been talked to it yet at this point as far as we know so he's just sitting there and standing there and all of a sudden he hears (laughs) yeah so you know if if and, and it probably wasn't that but you know, if, if you spit on somebody, it makes them unclean. Spit on somebody makes them unclean. So he spits in the dirt. So I don't know if it's the same or not, but I was thinking this. So he spits in the dirt, and he makes mud, or this version says clay. And he anoints his eyes with the clay. And you, you know what I'm thinking? How did God make man? Formed him out of the clay. He's doing a creative miracle. And Jesus is connecting himself with the creator God. As God formed man from the dust of the earth, from the clay of the earth, Jesus takes clay and creates sight, creates, I don't know if he had eyes or what, but he creates a miracle where there had never been sight before. Jesus now does the same thing. He connects himself with God because remember, the, the big part of John is what we're learning is that Jesus is trying to help people see that he is not another God. He is not trying to make himself equal with God. He is actually saying, I am God. I am God the Son, incarnate in the flesh. And he does this creative miracle right here in verse 6. And he anoints the eyes of the blind man 
with clay. And everything begins to change. Now, you want me to see that, right? Okay. Can't even see the clock. Is the miracle done yet? It's not. You know, often Jesus, he does miracles differently every time, but he anoints the man with this mud, puts it on his eyes, and then he says, verse 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So we went and washed and came back seeing. God does the work. He does the miracle, but it's not done yet. He takes just an ordinary, I mean, as ordinary as you can get, dirt and spit, and he makes clay, which is also representative of how fragile we are. Whenever you read about clay, it's about that we're, we're, we're feet of clay, that we're not strong, that we're easily broken, you know, that, that, that God can form us but we're also easily broken, that he's the potter and we're the clay. So he, the, all the symbolism is coming together, and he anoints the blind man, but the miracle doesn't happen and he, until the blind man goes and washes. He just sent a blind man to go find the pool and wash. Meanie. I mean, I mean that's going to be tough. Go find the pool and wash in it. You know, when God wants to do a miracle in your life, sometimes he's requiring of you to take a step, to do something that's difficult, to do something that that you don't even know if you can do. But he says, go. And the miracle happens when you're faithful to what God calls you. He does the miracle ahead of time, but it doesn't come to fruition until we actually are in the process. So I think it's a simple way of saying he wants to know if we have any skin in the game. Are we willing? Are we just waiting for all the stuff to happen? Just, oh, God, change me. Oh, God, I sit at the bar every night, and I just wish you would help me to stop drinking. Get out of the bar. Come on. You know, we don't sit back and, we don't sit back and, and wait for God's miracles to happen. But as he does things, sometimes he says, now I want you to do this. And so the man goes and he washes in the pool And it says he came back seeing. It didn't say he went seeing. He came back seeing. You know, there there comes a time that God's calling us, and it's going to be difficult to do that which he calls us to do. But the miracle is waiting as you're faithful. The miracle, the deliverance is waiting as you do and be faithful to whatever God is calling you. Now, this isn't a works of righteousness. That's not what this is. This is being faithful to do what God calls you to do knowing that your miracle might be just resting in this. It's not doing something hoping that the miracle will happen. There's a difference. The man had an order. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so now the miracles happen. He's seeing. And so then the neighbors, verse 8 says, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? You know, when God does a miracle in your life, when he does a restorative or creative miracle, often the people around you are going, is this the same person? Is this the guy who used to, to, to cheat and yell at all of his employees and he never paid them the right amount? Is this the girl who used to scream and, and, and yell at her kids? Is this the same person? What happened? I can't believe that this happened, that they changed. God does a miracle, there should be a change in our life. As, as there was, there was such a, a change that they didn't expect it, 
that they said, you know, is this really him? And then listen to, to what they say back and forth. It says, is this not the one who, who begged? And some said, this is he. And others said, he is like him. And he just, this looks like him. You know, some of you had such a transformation in your life that people might even have joked like that. Man, is this you? Is that Mike Kilberger? No, it just looks like him. Look at the change that happened in his life. Yeah, it couldn't be him. I knew him way back when. And it's really, you know, it's funny to hear those stories about people, you know, that there was such a transformation. They go, my gosh, you know, it just drastic, drastic. God wants to do a drastic transformation in your life. He really wants to set you free and to do miracles. We're not just talking about physical healings, but emotional and spiritual and um, even mental and psychological. He wants to come and do miracles where people would actually say, I've known this guy a long time, and I can't believe this is them. God wants to do these things in our life, and he does them. Unfortunately, sometimes we go back. God does an amazing miracle, sets you free of some craziness of maybe alcohol or drug addiction, and, and then you go back. Let it not be so. Don't go back. God did something, and people are looking at you going, is this him? And so he said, I am he. And thus begins the beginning of his problems. I mean, he just takes a step here, and this is the beginning. You know, he's... Unfortunately, this guy was just kind of sitting there minding his own business, and then Jesus comes up and ruins his day. And you go, well, what do you mean ruins his day? Because it's about to get bad for him. Because he says, no, I'm he. I used to be blind, and now I see. And the next thing you know, the Jewish leaders are getting involved, and they're upset, which is crazy. This guy was blind. Now he can see, and all they can think of is, who did it? Was it Jesus? And they don't like Jesus. They want to kill him. And so they believe that Jesus, and I'm going to kind of summarize this next section. They believe that Jesus is a sinner. And so they're, uh, they're questioning him. Who was it and what did he do? And you know, sometimes we're doing the same thing. We see a miracle of God and we're trying to find out all the nitty gritty. And well, what happened? And, and you know, we're trying to get all the, the details when we just need to give God glory. Say, wow, God is good. But see, they don't want to accept that this is Jesus. And your friends don't either. Maybe you don't. If something happens in your life and God does a miracle in your life, there are people in your life who don't want to give God credit. And they'll say, say things like, well, yeah, but I know a lot of people who quit drinking. Well, yeah, I know a lot of people who used to be angry and they aren't, aren't angry anymore. They don't want to give Jesus any credit. But he stands up and he says, I was blind, now I see. And they said, well, Jesus is a sinner. He says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I can see. And, and can, can, would a sinner, would God listen to a sinner? This is what he says to them. Would God listen to a sinner and, and heal me through this sinful man? And he begins to just simply proclaim that which he knows. He doesn't know everything. He knows very little. He keeps going back to the one thing. I was blind. Now I see it was Jesus who made me see. That's all I can tell you. They bring his parents in. And they say, hey, is this your son? Well, that's our son. Well, did Jesus make him, make him see? And is he a, you know, Jesus the sinner? And they say, 
Ask him. You know why? They're afraid to testify. They're afraid to, to commit that it was Jesus. So they take the easy way out going, he's of age, ask him. And why do they say that? Because if they say it was, they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. They're, they're going to be excommunicated. And so they take the, 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 the easy way out and they don't commit. But the man knowing, he pushes the issue. And he testifies. Jesus changed my life. He made me see. At the end of this passage, we find that they kick him out. They remove him from the synagogue. In the in New King James, it says they cast him out. Before that, he has conversations and even says, well, you're asking me all these questions, but do you want to be his disciples too? And they get even more angry. You know, this, is, this, message, this part of the message is for all of us because we have a testimony. God's done something in our life, and we're questioned about it. Why are you so happy? How do you not do the things that you used to do? You used to party. You used to smoke dope. What happened? And we're really tempted. Right in that moment, we can take the parents' way and do the easy way out, come up with some other excuse, or we can say it was Jesus. Unfortunately, sometimes we say things like, you know, I just, just, you know, I didn't like the way I was, and things changed, and, you know, and I went to AA, and I did this, and I did that, or, and we don't commit. But God wants us to commit. He wants us to say, no, the reason that I'm different is because Jesus changed my life. I once was blind. Now I see. Right? As we sing the hymn, I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. From a personal life story and from the scripture here. No matter what the cost, to be excommunicated from the synagogue, from the Jewish faith, was, was everything. That was your life, your culture, your family was all wrapped in together. You know, these things are still happening around the world. As Christians live in other parts of the world and they stand up for Christ, they're excommunicated from their family, from their towns, and sadly, some of these people are imprisoned and tortured and even killed. For us, we, we're just usually at risk of losing a friend or getting mocked a little bit, but God is calling us to stand up and give God glory. It's interesting that the Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue here, actually at one point tell him, give God glory. Was it Jesus? But they're not saying to glorify Jesus. They're saying, listen, if you give this guy glory, he's a false prophet, and you're in trouble. So even they, they tell him to give God glory, which to them meant something different, and you know what he did? He gave God glory because he said it was Jesus who was God. No, I'm going to give God glory. It was Jesus. I can't say anything else. I, he's the one who changed me. One of the things we learn in this passage, and there's so much more in chapter 9, but that Jesus is asking us to stand up for him. Towards the end, it says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. There again, Jesus. He anoints him, tells him to go wash on his own, and he, his eyesight comes back, and then Jesus disappears. And he doesn't come back until the man is cast out. And he, so this whole time, he's been on his own. 
And Jesus heard that he was cast out. And now he shows up. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man says, who is he? Lord, that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And that's what God wants. He wants us to understand that he is God and that we had come to him and give God the glory and testify that he is the one who saved us, who set us apart, who healed us, who gave us a new hope and testify that that's truth and then worship him. Father God, I'm challenged this morning to give you glory in everything. Father, we're challenged to stand up and recognize that our healing came from you and not keep it to ourselves, but be willing to share our faith and to share our experience. God, you've set each of us free, every one of us who's called upon your name, every one of us who's trusted you to be our Savior. You pulled us out of a, of a life that was doomed for hell. And in the natural, so many of those sitting in this room have testimonies how you delivered them from alcohol or drugs or anger or depression, even physical ailments. God, I pray that we would all give you the glory for what you've done in our life. Lord, that we would take no credit for ourselves and give you all the glory. Father, even, even as I mentioned quickly, Lord, I also pray that none of us would ever find ourselves going back into that which you set us free from but we would look to you to be our Savior and keep our eyes focused on you because you are the light of the world. Father, and then you've asked us to live with your light inside of us that we might shine our lights into the darkness. God, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to bring you glory and honor as you give us the courage to stand up. Father, even as at the beginning of the message, as you send us to do things, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to, to act in obedience, even though it might be difficult to get it done. Father, whatever you call us to, to say or do, that we would step over the line and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And that, Lord, we know that your word is true, that you'll meet us and that the miracle will, will come. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And we all admit together that you are the only way, the only truth under the Father. We thank you for what you've done. Lord, help us to be your witnesses, be your light in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen.